Welcome, everybody, uh, to another FPVFC Town Hall. Uh, my name's Josh. We've got a uh, full crew here, minus one. Um, hopefully, Blunty will be able to join us. Uh, not sure on that, but uh, we got Dan, Rob, and Alex, and, of course, Dave. Um, so I do have a couple of uh, articles. Uh, one is a little bit of an update on the FA reauthorization, So, uh, as well as some of the amendments, and some of those are interesting. So uh let me share my screen here as usual let's see if i can snag this all right so first up uh it looks like rdq um has is transitioning so uh in a note uh looks like on facebook uh tyler brennan uh owner of uh race day quads um posted that uh he is essentially stepping away uh, to a certain degree from RDQ um, and has um, looks like he is uh, selling to Finkstein Partners, uh, who is the also the um, people who uh, own GetFBV. So um, in his statement, uh, he says, uh, as the owner of RDQ, I've poured my heart and soul into RDQ, starting it and seeing it grow. And it has been uh, one of the greatest joys of my life. With this said, I have sacrificed a lot, and my family has sacrificed even more for this business over the last eight years. Uh, I found myself increasingly distracted with my Air Force career, other pursuits, and my desire to spend more time with my family. As this has happened, FPV and the business of FPV has changed a lot. As these changes have happened in the days since my last time flying a drone continued to count into the thousands, I felt more and more that instead of being the catalyst for RDQ's success, I have become the speed bump hampering its progress. And so I've decided that it is in the best interest of RDQ and the best interest of my family that I begin to transition away from the business I started nearly a decade ago. Uh, with this decision made, I began an extensive search and fielded multiple offers from multiple multiple qualified players in the industry. Ultimately, amidst, amidst several offers, I was lucky to get to choose the team that I felt was most qualified and best suited to take RDQ into its next decade. Or offered uh, the most money. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we don't know that. But uh, uh, the team I've chosen is none other than uh, Figstein Partners. You may recognize this team as being the same team which Tim Nielsen, the owner of Get FPV and Luminaire, cho chose some years ago. While RDQ and Get FPV are and will remain very separate and distinct companies, each serving their own role in the FPV ecosystem, I know that the strengths of Get FPV are well matched to the weaknesses of RDQ, and the strengths of RDQ are well matched to the weaknesses of Get FPV. As I look at how the two will compete in the marketplace yet aid each other's struggles, I'm excited about Finkstein's ability to infuse capital and expertise that I simply don't have. The results of this will mean that over time, RDQ will expand its product catalog, carry more products in stock, team up with GetFPV for special promotions, and modernize RDQ's website, customer-facing, and back-end technological capabilities. In fact, this transition has already occurred, and I've uh, already taken up an advisory role to the team at RDQ, which I will continue to maintain into the future. I want each and every one of you to know that Melissa and I are so thankful to, for you all. What uh, you all have done for our lives is something that neither of us could have ever imagined. With that said, I have one last favor to ask of each of you, and that is your trust. Trust that I have made the best decision I possibly could here for RDQ. Trust enough to continue to support RDQ's employees and what RDQ still stands for. I know for a fact that the be best is yet to come for RDQ, and I simply ask that you all trust that will be so. With love and appreciation, Tyler. I don't know if so, I'd say GetFPV's website's much better than Race Day Quad's website, but maybe that's just a personal opinion thing. Yeah, I mean, I know... Um, I know there's complaints for both, but at the same time, I mean, you know... Hopefully it'll be a good transition for them. And, uh, yeah, you know, can I, I'd like to make a, yeah, go for points. It. The, um, so having worked in mergers and acquisitions for eight years, there's some significant points in uh, Tyler's, uh, uh, memo. Uh, one is that he states that, uh, both brands will continue to coexist. He also says the, uh, he talks about uh, both companies will 
quote, compete in the marketplace. That's important from the perspective of if there were any uh, Justice Department uh, concern about this being uh, too much of a market consolidation, uh, continuing to have the two brands face uh, uh, each other as com as competitors, as well as offer the differentiate the differentiation that they do now, are very positive messages uh, to uh, DOJ um, when you're talking about uh, uh, merging companies. Um, the other thing is he is explicitly talking about um, that the back office will uh, very very likely uh, merge, and so there'll be a lot of discussions there. So that's pretty clear. Uh, also note that uh, these are privately held companies, and there's no uh, uh, no mention of the word a close. There's no close date, and so he does talk about the transition has already happened, but transition is you know not uh, a legal term. Uh, close is. Mm -hmm. And so we're uh, we we should anticipate that they have not yet closed. It's it takes you know maybe they have it takes months for all of the uh, the documents, all of the finance work, all of that to be done in order to get to a close. A, a case in point is um, uh, Rota Riot and Fat Shark just announced the close that we've been hearing about for about a year. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think it's it's positive, but I. Um, are positive and uh you know there's more to uh, more to learn and uh um as uh, i i continue to be impressed with uh, tyler brennan i mean the things that he's uh done and uh, does and does them simultaneously amazing and mm -hmm. uh you know to create and grow uh race day quads to the size it is and the reputation and great customer support uh have my hats off to him and uh, i'm sure he did get a good price for it so we'll uh, and uh, we we don't we don't sell as uh, from a, putting my flight test hat on. Uh, <laughs> they don't resell our uh, FT Easy ID after Tyler made some snarky uh, remarks about remote ID. Maybe uh, we have an opportunity to uh, have RDQ resell uh, the FT Easy ID broadcast module. So <laughs> yeah, my my congratulations to Fingston for this acquisition, and uh, my congratulations for. Uh, to race day quads that team as well as the get fpv team that will be working mm -hmm. together people were talking yeah. about how maybe race day quads will carry tbs equipment again since tbs was really not selling it mostly to tyler and not the store <laughs> it sounds like yep. so <laughs> maybe yep. they'll have remote mode id modules and uh stuff from tbs <laughs> excellent. excellent or is that what's the differentiator between get fpv and race day quads it might be <laughs> <laughs> who knows <laughs> So, you know, it, you know, as I was reading this, uh, it brought up a, a thought and, you know, just coming from a retail environment, um, I'm curious overall, and I mean, it's hard to ascertain, I think, to a certain degree, but what the, the retail aspect of FPV has done over the last, I don't know, six months to a year. And in terms of, you know, the economy and people's discretionary spending and, and that kind of thing, if, if people in the industry have seen a reduction in, in sales and, and uh, whatnot as well. So, you know, it, it's a challenging environment out there for any retail industry, I'm sure. And uh, uh, I don't think FPV uh, is uh, immune to that. So it'll be interesting. All right. So um, next up, I have uh, this from JD Supra. So on February 8th, the Senate Committee on Commerce, Science and Trans Transportation passed a bill that would fund the FAA for the next five years. This marks the first good progress on FAA reauthorization since the House of Representatives passed its own version last July. The Senate version of the bill was stalled in committee, held up by a series of disagreements among senators on issues affecting pilots, including training requirements and mandatory, mandatory retirement age. When no progress was made by the end of last year, Congress was forced to pass a second short-term extension bill. Um, so they go on to say, uh, this alert provides a summary of key provisions in the proposed Senate bill related to uncrewed or unmanned manned aircraft system and advanced air mobility, including summaries of the amendments approved by the Senate committee last week. Um, so there's a couple in here that uh, I thought were interesting. So a lot of these are dealing with uh, uh, next gen airspace innovation office. So 
Um, so a new aerospace innovation office within the FAA is uh, supposed to be established. Um, new, let's see, we've got uh, ADSB out equipage study. So directs the FAA to initiate a study to determine the number of aircraft registered in the United States and other devices operating in the airspace. Uh, currently unequipped with ADSB out requirements and impacting uh, impacts of expanding dual link architecture and the cost of benefits of ADSB equipage. Uh, we've got, uh, let's see, beyond visual line of sight directs the FAA to launch and complete a rulemaking for a regulatory pathway to certify or approved unmanned aircraft systems, enabling commercial BVLOS um, operations. Notes that rulemaking should establish a risk assessment met methodology, develop a remote pilot certification standards, and determine airworthiness requirements. Uh, we've also got uh, environmental review and noise certification. Uh, requires the FAA to publish UAS-specific environmental review guidance and implementation procedures. Requires examination and integration of a programmatic level approaches to the National uh, Environmental Policy Act requirements for the commercial UAS industry to enable an efficient process for environmental reviews. Um, let's see, we've got uh, UTM. Yeah, exactly. Requires a UTM. So requires the FAA to create a standard approval process for third-party service suppliers, a UTM. So UTM rears its head yet again. So we, we told you this wasn't over. Um, it's definitely not over. And uh, yeah, so. So this isn't saying they're what? requiring the FAA to create a UTM, but it's another step down that path of requiring people to use a UTM at some point in the future. So the and FAA, as we know, they don't create things. They don't They don't run things. Um, they, they tell other people. So this is an approval process similar to uh, the trust, right? They didn't create it. They just had other people do it and operate it and run it. So... Right. Um, we've got an extension of the Bef No Before You Fly campaign through 2028. Uh, Section 8.12 uh, amends 44.809 to allow recreational drone users to operate above 400 feet in certain areas and conditions subject to FAA approval. So that's that's a win. Sounds like something Tur from the AMA there. Yep, turbine, turbine and sailplanes. Yeah, 100%. That they got an they got an exception uh, for that type of flight, and so they were getting <clears throat> they were getting effectively a waiver for forty four eight oh nine. So that was significant uh, win for them in twenty twenty three. Mm -hmm. So this is yep. fantastic to have this added in the statute. Let's see. Uh, there's a bunch of uh, little things in here. Um, let's see. Sense of Congress on FAA leadership. So this is uh, expresses congressional congressional sense that the U.S. should act to demonstrate its ability as a global leader in AAM, which is advanced air mobility. Um, this includes prioritizing aircraft type certification, publishing rulemakings for operational rules for pilot certification, and working with global partners to support acceptance of AAM. So and, and hiring Archer's executive to be the administrator of the FAA. <laughs> All right, we've got. <laughs> let's see. Um, I think that was about it. We're continuing the Center of Excellence for Unmanned Aircraft Systems. Now we get to the amendments. Yeah. So, and embedded in this, of course, is any comments on the UTM uh, have a, a prerequisite of uh, broad, or pardon me, network remote ID. Mm -hmm. So, as we've mentioned in the past, network remote ID is mentioned no fewer than five times as a mandate from Congress to the FAA. So. That's a big area that uh, we will have to battle uh, as that comes to pass. Yep. So uh, we've got uh, full-on amendments prohibiting the FAA from providing federal funds to procuring from or operating with certain foreign drone companies. Um, requires certain the FAA... companies. What certain companies would those be? <laughs> Do they have DJI think, in their initials? Uh, probably. Yeah. Covered list, and yeah. you know, this can 
this is I'm we're nervous that this could be uh, linked to the the work that's coming out of the house with uh, congressional uh, representative Stefanik. Yep. So we've got uh, requires the FAA to replace any such drones that it owns or operates with a U.S. or allied drone within one year and provide a report to Congress with the cost and number of violating FAA drones. Does the FAA actually own drones? I'm I'm curious on yes. that. Yes. Do they? They have their test centers, and their test oh, centers okay. probably own some. Okay, fair, fair. All At right. least I would be surprised if their test centers didn't own any. Fair. But, so countries include yeah. China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, Venezuela, Cuba, and other countries deemed necessary by the FAA administrator. All right, uh, we've got... Uh, Can they deem USA necessary? <laughs> <laughs> we've got uh, and, uh, hey. another amendment. Go ahead, Rob. I was going to say, I don't know if any of y'all watched the, uh, the pre-committee hearing that happened last Thursday. Uh, Singleton had some interesting things he was sharing. He was uh, telling them that uh, the security threats presented by Chinese aircraft, one of them he mentioned is that it could measure our heart rate. So there were some, there were some very interesting things that were being discussed in that. Uh, huh. I can post the link later. It's, uh, it's, on, it's on YouTube. So I'm wondering if they can measure my cholesterol too. I'm curious. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so let's see. There was another one that was super interesting. I got to dig into it here. Let's see. Okay. Uh, another amendment uh, permits recreational drone operators to operate the drone at any altitude in uncontrolled airspace. So that's interesting. Uh, Let's see. Permits the operator to seek FAA authorization to operate in controlled airspace when, when operating under the safety programming of a recognized community-based organization. Allows the community-based organization to self-declare fixed sites. I thought that was free. It's not fixed sites, but... Yeah, we'll see what that shakes out to be. Fixed permits is also nice. And then permits a community-based organization to become FAA trust administrators. So... If we want to go back down that route, Dan, you know, we could we it, could do that. <laughs> it permits them. We weren't not permitted already. Right? Well, you had to apply for it, right? So you had to apply to become a trust administrator, and you you still do, but uh, maybe it's just an automatic approval, you know, and go through the process. Interesting. Weird. I don't quite understand that one. Yeah, I don't either. Maybe it's just but... a poor summary of what it actually yeah. is. Dave, are you dying over there? <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's good, guys. I'm fine. So, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm curious uh, how uh, we're gonna self-declare fixed sites. That's uh, that could be interesting. So, anyway, so this is uh, some of the amendments here. Um, yeah, thoughts, Dave. Trying to declare is, uh, the U.S. as a fixed site. <laughs> <laughs> well, what does that get well, you? Like, what is uh, the? Uh, about, I don't need to get airspace approval every time I fly. <laughs> what was the summary status of this? So the bill has not been approved itself, right? Is this the the Senate version has been now approved Senate. finally? The Senate okay. committee has passed a bill. It says uh, okay. Senate Committee on Commerce, Science, and Transportation build a. Uh, uh, passed a bill that would fund the FAA for the next five years. Is so we're still sense. months away. And I, mean, I know that the next target is March 2024. We have to qualify the years now for the <laughs> 2023 Reauthorization Act. Yeah. But the they have this. So they, there's a House bill that's been passed. Now the Senate's passed. Now they have to go to conference to reconcile the two bills. So and, it says uh, <clears throat> next step is for Senate bill uh, is a full Senate floor vote. And then a negotiation between and the then, House and Senate. And then it can go to conference. Because it's only right. past the committee so far, not the full Senate, right? Correct. Yes. Right. <clears throat> right. So, you know, the the target a couple months ago was March. And I think they the FAA has a, uh, a CR, a continuing yes. resolution until March. Yeah. So they're going to have to do another one of those. But, of course, uh, the <laughs> House is in recess until 28 February. 
And one of the things they need to get done before the 1st of March is make sure that the federal government continues to operate. So I have a sneaking suspicion that the FAA Reauthorization Act will be lower on the list. <laughs> oh, man. Depends yeah, if they need to fly <laughs> home or not. Exactly. <laughs> right. All we have to say is, you know, we'll get them a notum scare. You know, you thought that was bad. Right. How about sending all of the, uh, I know you don't, we don't send traffic, air traffic control home. I know they're critical <laughs> infrastructure. I know. Yeah, but uh, if it's not funded, those uh, ATAC uh, employees aren't paid, correct? I think they are paid because they are considered critical. Okay. Interesting. Well, yeah. I, I hope they continue to be paid, folks. Yeah. Uh, so this is, a, critical this is a critical Yeah, this is a great summary. Thanks for I, I had not seen this. Thank you for finding this fantastic yeah, document. Yeah. All right. So um, in case you needed a new set of uh, FPV goggles. Um, <laughs> for how much? $3,500. The most expensive FPV goggles you may ever own. But at least... Uh, uh, FPV pilots aren't the only dorky-looking people wearing goggles anymore. Yes, <laughs> good point. I'll get the so, school to buy a pair for us to use. You know, so this article brought up a couple interesting points, and uh, the neat thing is, is that DJI, some of the DJI models, uh, uh, notoriously don't work with uh, their goggles, and so this gives an opportunity for some of those that don't to actually be flown FPV. And uh, the cool thing, and I'm not going to you know, beat the article to death, but um, the interesting part is being able to view the footage, um, have uh, basically an augmented reality space where you can still see what's going on around you, uh, be able to have screens with uh, different flight paths, uh, your actual feed, um, uh, sectional charts, if you so choose, different uh, different uh, you know plots of of windows that you can have. I've never, I've not tried the Apple Visions. I don't know if anybody has, but uh, I've seen videos and being able to look at all that different level, the different levels of information is uh, intriguing to me. Um, so, to would you degree. still need a spotter if you have those in the mode where you can see this a screen, but then the camera is showing you your, your has to be your sight. unaided so, eye, unaided eye. Right. Does that it would comply? Well, it's not. What's eight. that? Vic, uh, Vic Moss is saying that he thinks that uh, it would fall under uh, you that you wouldn't need a spotter. It's not really aiding your vision he... any. It's just, it's making it slightly worse. <laughs> I thought he said took the other took the opposite position. He said okay. Yeah, I, I, I read his well, right. His position that. was when I first saw it going around was <clears throat> that he thought that that was okay, but I don't think yeah. so. Yeah, it, it, this is yeah. I I I'd bet a cold one that uh, the FA would go. Yeah, no, just as uh, as we just said, this is uh, that's his aided uh, vision. So it's like, the, the funny thing you is put that the thing on and it's off. You can't see anything, so you have to turn <clears throat> it on to be able to see anything, which I would say is aided. Yep. The funny <laughs> thing exactly. is that technically, if it if this was done really cool, where it, like could help zoom in and find the drone and spot it and show it and like give you all this extra information. It would be Altitude better position. than not having a spotter. It would be better than not having goggles on, and yet it still would be, you know, not and it could be breaking. Plot air traffic control and highlight different airplanes. Plot or it could plot different. Kind of like the DJI goggles, almost do. Yeah, I mean, it could be yeah. interesting. It'd be interesting to try, right? And uh, I'm sure as the the technology progresses, uh, it could be uh, very good, um, but uh, thirty five hundred dollars for a set of uh, glorified FPV goggles seems a little <laughs> steep to me. So, um, what I'd love to—I'm hoping that someone who does a review on these measures the radiation that this thing gives off because it's—it's it's a lot of compute power, and it's like all right into your brain. All right, <laughs> uh, local host comments in the. Our lost local host in the YouTube chat that, uh, well, it shows your eyes on the outside, so that should be enough to fool the average FAA employee to <laughs> think you don't have oh, it's unaided vision. You can see. Oh, hell. <laughs> <coughs> well, who's springing the $3,500? Let's test this out. <laughs> not, not doing it. Yep, not, not doing me. it. Nope. 
Besides, I heard they're extremely heavy. So, you know, there's that. There's there's people like strapping Well, is it heavy to people and... who aren't using, used to having goggles on their forehead? Or... I mean, yeah. my fat sharks are pretty light. So yeah, it's, I mean... it's light in comparison to the Gen 1 DJI monster. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> All right. So uh, this is out of uh, da, 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 South Dakota, I think um hold on yeah it's set up south there dakota. south dakota yeah so thank got, you so we got so, one out there more cows than people yeah well you know i mean uh so senate bill 169 aims to protect the public against the potential criminal usage of drones the bill would make operating a drone in a careless manner a misdemeanor so uh for all you exactly that's my point so to all you uh crazy fpv freestyle uh or you know drone racers who are flicking around like crazy on a on a racetrack what's a careless manner like i'm curious about that so um i i was curious if they'd actually kind of define that in the in the bill they didn't so um you know there's that too so gotta love says, uh, regulations that are left up to the in interpretation of the person enforcing it Hundred yeah. percent. So, no person may intentionally or willfully operate a drone in a careless manner that endangers persons or property, or for voyeuristic or harassment purposes. I agree with the second part. There's, you know? there's got to be rules against that already. All right. Yeah, there, privacy yeah, laws. In almost every every state, uh, in addition, what they use in New York is um, uh, reckless endangerment, and so um, the which can be either a misdemeanor or a felony. And as, as uh, was it, I think last summer, one uh, individual thought it would be a good idea to argue with a state trooper. He got ridden up to a felony. So, oh, uh, Jesus. yeah, I mean, and that's, you know, it was completely legit. And it was, you know, this is uh, was law enforcement, you know, you know, handling uh, a guy who was being a bit of a jerk. So as uh, Greg Revendu would say, don't be that guy. <laughs> it's just so often we have to say just because of the cameras on a drone doesn't change anything like yeah right. you could have a camera on a pole and do these same things and it's already right. against the rules so yeah just as making brendan it on a shulman, drone doesn't make it as brendan shulman would say it's an iphone in the sky yeah all right so uh they also added uh no person may except as authorized by law, land a drone on the real or personal property or the waters of a landowner who owns the real property beneath the water body without the landowner's consent. Um, it is an affirmative defense if the landing was a forced landing uh, or if the landing was caused by a technical malfunction. But in either case, the operator of the drone remains liable for any damage resulting from the landing. Uh, so somebody who... owned some lakefront property where a drone landed and someone was not happy about that. Yeah, yep. it's, it's also in, in New York State, the, one of the most legislated states in the country. Mm -hmm. um, and if you have a, uh, a waterway, you, know, you cannot have any of that legislation where you're uh, excluding people from traversing uh, on the water. So a river that's navigable. Uh, you streams, uh, no, that they can be owned and you know, property, uh, etc., but uh, not navigable waterways. Sounds like it might be a little different in landlocked South Dakota. Yep, uh -huh. so uh, they did add, uh, as a, as a good, uh, good uh, measure of legislation that uh, um, no, uh, uh, the state or any political subdivision may not enact or enforce an ordinance regarding ownership, operation, design, manufacture, testing, maintenance, blah, 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 um, of an uncrewed aircraft system, airspace, altitude, or flight path restrictions, qualifications, training, or certificate. Um, so they're, they're airing to the FAA on that stuff. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely uh, some interesting language here so you know yeah. don't land things on other people's property and uh don't fly recklessly um whatever that means <laughs> Rec uh let's see careless uh careless manner okay all right so um and then uh dave this might be a little more up your alley uh, I, this is the uh uh john hergrain's uh views on the counter uas arc report um yeah we've not had a an opportunity 
or I have not had an opportunity to dig through the, I think it's 190 it's only, yeah. pages. It's only just under I mean, 200 pages long. Really, I mean, why really, haven't you read that yet? What's, what's my problem? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'll cover it then. Uh, so well, we, you know, we do know that uh, John was a member uh, mm -hmm. as was, I believe Vic Moss and uh, as was the AMA. Um, yeah. Our view on this is that we, um, called the uh the faa multiple times asking to be invited onto this arc we'd been on the beyond visual line of sight arc um and it was one of the it sounded so familiar to me oh no we're not taking exception we're not taking applications yet oh we're not taking no no not yet not yet no, oh it's closed <laughs> so uh oh we've decided everyone who's going to be on it so we went to the faa and uh, they said oh well what you can do is you can become a subject matter expert and you will have access to all of the material through the ARC. And so we did. We signed up and we spoke to the co-chair, uh, who's an AUVSI exec. And uh, the access that we got was zero. So uh, we'll, we, we do need, we will uh, review this document. Uh, we've got, there's, I'm sure, a brief comment period. Uh, and they're uh, largely, I think the view is that and I think that's uh, what uh, John Hercrane's uh, reaction is, uh, that it's not a lot of uh, bad came out of it because they, and I think the essence of that was, so you can find a drone in the sky. We've got the technology for that. And there is technology to mitigate or counter UAS or take a drone out of the sky, but it's matching those two and making it legal. That's a little sticky. And so it, it sounds like, this arc did not um, get very far. And uh, Josh, I'm not sure if I'm contradicting what uh, you've read or your view on this. Well, I mean, he, he goes through and, and talks about some of the policy recommendations, <clears throat> basically the recommendations that the arc made ended up making. So um, none of them are earth shattering, but um, for policy, incorporate an understanding of the industry and its ecosystem into policy recommendations. I think we've been touting that for a long time, um, just through education of people who are actually uh, writing these policies, right? Uh, consider detection and mitigation components separately for policy purposes. Advance the benefits of data management technology integration with its impact on the broader ecosystem. Balance data uh, management in user safety and security with public privacy, environmental health, and civil liberties, 100%. Um, I, I can agree with uh, just about all of that. Um, for risk management recommendations, uh, they recommended create an acceptable level of risk and safety framework for UAS uh, data management uh, systems. Uh, consider risk associated with certification, permission, authorization, or allowance and establish operating rules uh, for data management operators to minimize risk to the national airspace and traditional airspace uh, operations. So, uh, or sorry, detection and mitigation, not data management. Uh, so let's see, we've got uh, um, develop minimum performance standards for UAS uh, detection and mitigation systems, evaluate and approve a set of uh, detection and mitigation technologies for approved user selection and develop detection only system standards tailored to the airport environment. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Ooh. I mean, there's, 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 there's some others yeah. down there like this should create a remote ID incentive program. So you give me a donut <laughs> huh. every time I put remote ID on my drone, are you going to buy my modules for me? What, what are you going to do? <laughs> or, as long as it's not a disincentive <clears throat> program and penalize you, but going to shoot it out of the sky if you don't use remote ID. Well, and here's the, one of the things that, that, you know, I think we've talked about is if you're using remote ID, like that should come with enhanced capabilities, right? And I, mean, I think right. that's what you could use as an incentive is if you're using right. remote ID, then you get to do this. I can fly 400 foot over a structure, which only part 107 could do before right. then. Yeah. And yeah, my, my biggest beef with all this is, um, are, are we, uh, am I and uh, oh, uh, am I sour grapes that we were not uh, included in this? No, we got plenty to keep us out of mischief. <laughs> I I am uh, annoyed that uh, there's a lot of talk in the preamble, of the chair's uh, summary in this document that goes uh, to great length about how in, uh, they were very uh, they were very inclusive, that they sought um, every 
uh, every possible uh, cohort and uh, user. But of course, they neglected. They didn't even uh, ask the, la- <laughs> the largest cohort possible. I, you know, they're concerned about the security of publicly recreationally used UAS, but they refuse to uh, admit or talk to people who have you know access and insight in into that space. So, for that, you know, not not impressed. So. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Hey, um, Alex and slash Rob, there's a, a remote ID compliance snapshot. Am I able to, to share that? Is that like protected information? I think you can share it. Um, I mean, yeah, I think we can share it. <laughs> Where did it come I, from? I it was from a, a back team meeting. I don't see why it wouldn't be shareable. Yeah, because okay. the thing's cool. recorded for us to be able to share to other people. Well, it's shared now. So, <laughs> no going back. So, we've got uh, total. This is uh, as of the 16th of February. So, uh, we've got uh, total UAS registered aircraft. Um, we've got uh, but what, so 793,000. I'm going to need Go a lot ahead. more explanation of each one of these lines. If they say, like you said, 793,000, and the compliance level is 30.5%. That implies that they know how many total UAS aircraft there are out there that are not registered. Or the theorizing, right? I mean, 16 February 20. Yeah. And they, they clearly is... have no idea. Like, if you built a, a 500 tiny whoops and are flying them in your backyard, that's not counted. They have no idea how yeah, many this of those is are also, out there. This is also amusing that this, this says that for the first time ever, that. Uh, 107 has, is uh, uh, such a, a large percentage of total recreational, uh, and different from every document well, they have produced, including the uh, the 2021 um, uh, uh, PEA uh, programmatic I'm not environmental sure you can assessment. actually get those numbers out of this. 107 <clears throat> remote ID at... compliance is yeah. 23% of remote ID. Of 107 of operators, total I would UAS registered. Right. So I would say that you're you're looking at uh, of all the 107 uh, you know pilots that have registered. Uh, oh, I like that that they've associated a hundred thousand for the free factor. This is like the Chewbacca defense. I love it. <laughs> So we've got uh, RID modules out in the wild. We're thinking close to 11,000. So they can certainly tell us how many people have a registered drone and registered a module and put stuff into the their system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like when it says recreational flyer remote ID compliance, total broadcasting, 58,000. How do they – what – what what if I put this module and I fly it around for testing and I didn't I forgot to register it? Right. Um, they never know. They have oh, no idea. Data that they have access to, right? so, and you yeah. can you can buy a DJI drone and fly it around, and it might be broadcasting, but you didn't register it. Right. Um, there's going to be tons of those. So unless right. they're actively like listening to all the air traffic or wireless signals all across the country, they've got no idea how many are actually broadcasting remote ID. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. So, so to me, the takeaway from this is uh, the FAA is concerned that remote ID is not uh, does not have a huge uptake, and uh, <laughs> this could be a great segue to uh, the work that uh, that we're doing in the uh, Drone Advisory Committee on standard remote ID. Josh, guys, okay if I please say a couple words there. So Absolutely. we've so we've met <laughs> as a uh, as a group. And we are um, uh, the first uh, effort that we will have is uh, arguing against the size uh, and radius of uh, sports stadia um, TFRs. And uh, Rob knows uh, more about this than any of us. Uh, but that's something that we're, uh, as a group, we'll be going in and asking the FAA and then likely Congress to take some action to make it uh, a smaller radius around stadia. Uh, the second uh, uh, 
tasking that we're taking on has to do with standard remote ID. And so as most folks listening to us understand that if if you're producing, so you're a, a manufacturer, a drone and you're, it's for sale and you're, it was effectively a ready to fly, that is when the customer receives it, it, it can go up into the air, that has to have standard remote ID. That's a big deal. It's expensive. You have to get a declaration of compliance for each model that you ship, not just uh, the uh, standard remote ID system. And so we're uh, talking to manufacturers, users, service providers, trying to get an understanding of what's the what are the current plans, and we'll likely be asking the FAA and Congress for some resource for some. Uh, delay in uh, putting standard remote ID uh, into effective uh, uh, date. I mean, it's already out there, and it's a, the effective dates have passed, obviously. But we're we're looking for some uh, breathing room uh, and changes to the uh, to the rules because these are uh, broadly uh, meeting with non-compliance, and it's damaging. Uh, small businesses at the benefit of larger businesses. And that's an, uh, hopefully a topic that the uh, Congress will take seriously. So, and that's uh, FPVFC is a uh, founding member of that organization. And John Hagrains uh, of Aloft is uh, another founding member. And uh, this standard remote ID project is uh, co-chaired uh, with Pilot Institute. So uh, we're uh, privileged to be uh, part of this group and a uh, great, great bunch of individuals. We'll see what uh, we'll keep this group posted. And as we uh, create uh, documents, we'll have happy to share them uh, during a, uh, a markup review. Uh, so we are welcome comments. There have been some uh, great uh, comments that I've pulled out of our own discord. So very and, helpful. And if people are wondering, <clears throat> John Hagrains, where have I heard that name before? We just mentioned that because we were sharing that document where he summarized what the Beyond Visual Line of Sight, or no, not Beyond, the Detect and Avoid uh, the ARC. ARC. Uh, right. The Detection yeah. and Mitigation, mitigation uh, Aviation Rulemaking Committee. John Agrain's the CEO of Aloft, who brings uh, you uh, air aware as well as air control. So if you're recreational, definitely an app, app you want on your smart device uh, so that you can determine is there a TFR? What's the NOTAM? Am I in controlled or uncontrolled airspace? If you need Lance approval, uh, then you uh, it'll uh, that app will, the Air Aware will feed Air Control and submit a Lance application. Um, so there's a question in YouTube from Focus. I think he, they're they're asking if ready to fly is defined explicitly, and is there any room for variance on that? Yeah, no is the uh, is the simple answer. Great question, and I smile because boy, we've had a lot of discussions on this. So the, uh, the FAA, uh, the closest they come to it now is home built. And then within the preamble of the remote ID documentation, uh, the final rule, uh, there is uh, some uh, level of detail on this. And so happily in the initial uh, NPRM, uh, the FAA was talking about a percentage of uh, built versus not built. Happily, they went away from that. And so they just characterize it as home built versus what's built by a producer there. And then there are some vague references to if it's an incomplete and we, and we've followed up with the FAA on this, if it's an incomplete assembly, then it's not considered a ready to fly um, manufactured or produced small UAS. Great question. And some companies who sell aircraft or drones, are pushing that definition farther to one way than others. Uh, some manufacturers may say, if you buy this, but you have to buy the battery separate, this is not ready to fly. This is almost ready to fly, and you have, you know, you're assembling it at home. Other that people was, might say that's yeah. a little bit too f much. Yeah, yeah. yeah that the, what Dan is referencing is Horizon Hobby, who has who have subsequently come out uh, with their own uh, remote ID broadcast module. So yeah, we looked at that and we go, mm, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, you know. I, if I could if I could add just one more. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so our thanks to uh, Joshua Bardwell and Blunty uh, for a uh, review 
on uh, MRID, our uh, colleagues uh, uh, from Phoenix, uh, UAS. And so this, this is the group that released a very, very small uh, MRID module. It's a broadcast, or, or RID broadcast module. And it's tiny and it's light. And it uses and plugs in a uh, your own or a, a GPS module that you purchase. And Joshua does a fantastic job of describing the benefits of having a separate uh, GPS module. And so uh, great that there's a uh, uh, another solution uh, for remote ID. And all of us in uh, FPVFC are extraordinarily proud that uh, these two guys uh, put this product together. Uh, it's, it was not not easy, and it uh, looks to be uh, fantastic. So thanks Absolutely. to Joshua and Blunty, and uh, congratulations for a great video uh, to Brian and Ken. Yeah, I hope after the video that the, the modules are selling well for the people who decide they need them and that they're mm -hmm. getting some return on their investment for creating. Yeah, they've already got, they've already got a uh, uh, signed up by one of the uh, uh, hobby retailers. So that's great nice. to hear. And that's CB perfect. Runner left a comment in YouTube with just a smiley face. Uh, he, he's one of those two guys. <laughs> CBR Runner. Uh, yep. C oh, yeah. There's an extra R there. Uh, CBR Runner. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I think we'll go around the room. Rob, what do you, you got anything for us tonight? Uh, nothing big. Just a whole lot of work uh, on the on this uh, pending legislation that, that Dave mentioned. I'll keep everybody posted as we know more. So. Mm hmm all right, Alex, what you got? Anything? Uh, I don't have anything this week. All right. Nothing else interesting from the F, uh, the FAST team meeting that you can share? Not that I remember. <laughs> <laughs> so it must not have been that important. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, that's awesome. Love it. All right. There, Dan, one more. Yeah, yeah, one, one last comment. Um uh, on our Facebook page, I referenced uh, a great uh, news article by uh, uh, Greg Revendu of Pilot Institute, where he asked for our help on HR 2864. I believe I shared this up on FPVFC, Facebook as well. Uh, so if you haven't already, please uh, uh, comment uh, professionally, politely, productively, uh, not profanely on uh, about HR 2864. This is important because the New York congressional representative, Elise Stefanik, is the number three Republican in the House. She has enormous authority. So we could say, well, this will never pass. Let's be careful because you know this is a very high ranking congressional member that is putting putting this forward. So if you if you you know, please uh, just, you know, if you go to the uh, Pilot Institute uh, site, uh, John, or rather Greg has this uh, linked that he's got it. You know, so you have to click through. It brings you to, it finds your uh, congressional representative and uh, you can either click and uh, not add any comments or add uh, comments if you like. And again, please, 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 as Greg would say, don't be that guy. Please do make them professional, productive, and uh, responsible. And I think that's all I had. And Dan, I think I might have uh, stepped that's on you. Fine. My apologies. So I, I have that up here on the uh, screen. It's a simple one pager. So uh, just we'll go over it real quick. Uh, to amend the Secure and Trusted Communication Networks Act of 2019 to provide for the addition of certain equipment and services produced or provided by DJI Technologies to the list of covered communications equipment or services published under some act. Um, right. This is the one where they're banning our use of the radio frequency band. So this goes after the FCC regs, mm -hmm. not FAA. So this would knock out the entire industry. Yeah. So would this mean you couldn't use a DJI air unit or anything like mm -hmm. that? Anything that produces... RF that's sold out of a covered nation. Yep. Which is, let's see, that would be 99.9% .9 of what we fly. Absolutely. All right. Uh, Dan, anything um, to round us up? I don't have evening? anything of my own, but uh, Focus has another question in the YouTube chat uh, asking, what are thoughts around being able to 
move a remote ID module for part 107 pilots, it would seem the intent would be to know who was in the air. Why a unique license plate if registered already with the FAA? Good question. You know, I can take it. Anyone else? <clears throat> they, so they don't want you to move. Uh, well, pardon me. You, you're welcome to do it. <laughs> Cost you five dollars a time. But mm -hmm. yeah, it's five dollars a crack each time. So you, you have to unregister the, uh, the. Uh, the broadcast module from one aircraft and then re-register it on another aircraft. So you'd have to do that each time. And the difference, of course, is that the matching has to do with registration. In recreational, we're reg registering ourselves. Part 107, we're registering the aircraft. Mm -hmm. Rob, anything to add to that? Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. They wanted to mirror the current registration process. Right. Yeah. And I would guess it if they could, they would make it so that they're recreational people had to register every single one as well but somehow yeah, that's we a great escape that's that. a great point so we were we were going to yeah i was going to mention that thanks for bringing that up dan if you fly recreationally and you're flying with a rig that's under 250 grams all up weight do not register it the you're in, you're encouraged to register it when you're on the drone zone don't because if you do that drone then becomes registered and it's required to have remote ID on it. Mm -hmm. Everything so, that's registered needs remote ID. Right. You know, one of the things that the FAA could do with this is just give you the ability to register the module as a as a, a piece of equipment that could then just be, you know, moved between, right? And that would be <clears> yeah, I don't, helpful, don't quite understand why the FAA needs to know every model of aircraft you have and every module that's tied to each aircraft and like yeah if something bad happens they know it's yours like that's right. what they really need to know but i'm sure they've got some other reason for it yeah all right you know it's right. the faa <laughs> their inner <laughs> so, workings are a mystery to all it's so they can come up with those charts and graphs to share that says so many have standard remote id and so many have this module and so many have that module <laughs> Fancy charts. All right, guys. Uh, I think that'll wrap us up for this evening. Thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you to all of you guys for being here tonight. And uh, super appreciate the questions, the feedback, and uh, keep that coming. And we'll see you again in another couple of weeks. Thanks. Have a great night. Thank you, Josh.